Welcome to But Why Though, the podcast, a periodic discussion with guests from around the But Why Though writing community, brought together under one roof to discuss the latest happenings in the nerd pop culture community. My name is Aaron, and let me be the first to welcome you, dear listeners, to 2023, episode 14, and I get the pleasure of being joined by the dynamic duo, the champions of anime, and the top two members of Denji's Supporters Club, Kate and Nisha. Hey. Hey. Hi, guys. Denji is best boy. He is I best researched, boy. I researched his name just so I could do this whole intro. I'm so for proud you of you. I appreciate so that. So proud of do you. Do you judge us because we support Denji? Most people probably look at him and they're just like, why? <laughs> I will say this this is fitting for But Why Though, though, because in the last nine years I've been with Matt, he's watched one episode of an anime and it was Chainsaw Episode 1. Or Chainsaw Man episode one. So there we go. Hey. <laughs> I was going to say it's purely because of you two in this podcast that I have like this inkling. I was like, maybe I should try it. Maybe I should watch it. I think I like it. You should. But welcome, welcome. This is episode 14. We're into a brand new year, but same old us. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about some of the news that caught our eyes, including a very interesting trailer um, called Renfield. Uh, a new vampire movie with uh, Nicolas Cage, and the news that Michael Giacchino will be directing a reboot of the monster movie, Them. Uh, Our topic this week is a tantalizing one as we unwrap the comments made by the creators of The Last of Us video game, suggesting that live-action storytelling is the pinnacle medium for audience engagement. So... Uh, without further ado, let's dive into our weekly latest trailers that caught our eye since we last recorded, and we'll start with Renfield. So, <laughs> this was an interesting one. Uh, it's I guess it's written by uh, Robert Kirkman and Ryan Ridley, which really surprised me. I didn't realize that was going to be the case. It's directed by Chris McKay. It's coming out April 14, 2023. Stars Nicolas Cage, Nicholas Holt. And Aquafina. Nick Cage is Dracula. This is a Dracula movie. In that you can essentially control somebody to do everything that you want. So they're you're they're your employee, but they're essentially just a mindless slave to whatever you want them to do. That's the premise, but like modern and employee based. <laughs> Horrible bosses, but with a vampire twist. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Um, I will say I'm just happy that Nick Cage gets to play Dracula. Um, he deserves it. That man deserves any and every role that he should get. And I am a fan of Nicholas Holt in like weird genre things like Warm Bodies, I think was the first time I ever saw him, which was that sentient zombie movie. Um, and I really like Robert Kirkman, especially when he has a when he has a contained story that can't go on and go on and go on and then spin off into 20 other things, <laughs> i.e. The Walking Dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nisha, what did, you, what did you think? Yeah, for me, I, I'm i just happy to see Nick Cage in more things. I think the last movie I saw him in is when he played himself. Um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but I, the I just... bearable weight of massive talent. Thank you. That very long name movie. Uh, but no, I, I want to see him be more things and be, and just be weird. Like, kind of like how he was in 
I mean, just pick a Nick Cage movie. But I just like that this is one that he gets to just go full on. Um, and that looks good. And then I, I'm surprised by the casting, like Nicholas Holt. I mean, yeah, Nicholas Holt, Nicholas Cage, and Aquafina. I, I did not, I would not have guessed to put those three in the movie together. But here we are. I wouldn't have either. Right. It just, it felt random. It just felt Nick like a dark board. <laughs> that was like, I'm like, okay, sure, I'm gonna watch it mainly for Nick Cage but yeah and I do like the premise of how like the trailer opened up I just hate how like these trailers showed a little too much like I did not we didn't need the last 10 seconds the last 10 seconds could have been left out and that would have been a lovely reveal towards the end but I feel like dang we kind of know how this movie's going to go now yeah trailers are a thing I was going to say, it's always weird with trailers, isn't it? Because I'm sure like the directors and everyone behind has a view. And I often feel like it's driven by more like PR and executives. And they just want to show people. And like the anticipation of like, are people going to be excited about this? Are they not? Like, how are they going to view it? Like, and I think the fact that you've just got this kind of like weird vampire film with Nick Kate, I think that's enough. You've got it right there. And I think it's, it's shot well and it looks funny and... I think all you had to do was release a press release saying Nick Cage plays Dracula and people would have been in their seat. Yeah, (laughs) I still remember when there was like the first couple of images came out as Nick Cage dressed as Dracula and people on Twitter were losing their minds. I was like, that's the film. Like, that's it. Like, that's your PR. I don't really need anything else. I like, again, the first half of the trailer, great. Set up. Tell me the date when it's coming out. The second half feels like it's spoon fed. And I'm just like, I think, and I agree, trailers just being more spoon-fed to, like, the ma- like the masses. And I'm like, I say the masses sarcastically, but it's like, because PR people, they want to, like, we want everyone to come see this thing. I'm like, but you don't have to tell everyone everything in yeah. order for people to come and be interested in a movie. So I'd really love it if we could get away from things like this, because, like, I can guess what's going to happen by the end of this. <laughs> Unless yeah. there's just going to be some major twist at the end. But it's like, dang, we know what's going to happen up to the third act now. I'm still going to see it. It's just, there's just some stuff you can wait. You can just hold that. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But, I mean, it's a Nick Cage world, and we're just all living in it, to be honest. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, moving on. Um, obviously, it was just announced this week that Michael Giacchino uh, would be directing... Now, the only thing I... It, they said, like, his debut, even though he did direct... Feature, feature, de- feature debut. Yeah, feature yes. debut. Yes. Werewolf by Night is technically a short film or episodic special. Like, it's not a feature film. It's dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that, that, there was a couple of reports, and I was like, well, it's not technically... It's like, his first directorial. I was like, yeah, he, he has done something, so... But anyway, he will be directing uh, the reboot of the 1954 monster film, uh, Them. Um, the synopsis read that, that I looked up. A film where radioactive a radioactive test site caused ants to mutate into giant, man-eating monsters that threaten civilization. Like they do. I am so, <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, I So Werewolf by Night was a success for me because it was a whole embracing of classic universal monster movies it was an embracing of the black and white genre it was it it was everything that made me fall in love with horror as a kid 
Um, it reminded me of the old Vincent Price movies that my mom would rent from the library to watch and stuff like that. And I think that if we're stuck in remake land, I will take a remake of a, a, a creature feature with radioactive giant ants over like a remake of Citizen Kane or something. And I think uh, Giacchino is like definitely the man for the job. And you can just tell like he has a passion for old school horror and I, I can't wait. I just love like his style and how he like puppeteers from everything and it's just his understanding from a director's level like the elements of the music and like the lighting and the framing of a shot like he's he's just genuinely excited to film and I think that's what really like I after watching Werewolf by Night and seeing his name attached and seeing what this is I was like oh yeah I can absolutely see in this being awesome I have no uh, previous knowledge of them, the original movie. Yeah, I just think this this one's just like a really interesting one to do because I'm the same. I love like big kaiju films, like just mm-hmm. let them fight and just let them go crazy. Like it just be it'll be an interesting one to see how this yeah. this one goes. And given how excited that Giacchino is about these like classic monster films and mm-hmm. his style, um, and how that shows up on screen, so I'm. I'm 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 living in anticipation for a first look, uh, but I know mm-hmm. we're, we're so far away on it to yeah. be honest. So I mean, it's good news. Like like Kate said, like we're living in a land of like mega monster, uh, like IP as far as comic books and stuff like that. I mean, I think there was something dropped on our Discord chat recently where it was like um, some of the movies coming out in 2023, and I think maybe two or three of them were like original IP. I think most of them were sequels and comic books look more power to you if you enjoy that stuff i want new original stuff and if you're not gonna give me new original stuff give me stuff that hasn't been touched for over like for over half a century (laughs) thank you for saying over half a century because no we do not need something that was done in the 90s redone again not not saying (laughs) i don't want ages ago right Right. Not saying I don't want My knee a... hurts just hearing you say that. <laughs> but listen, if we got an eight crazy... Fre- is it eight-legged crazy freaks or whatever? I can't... Eight-legged le- eight freaks. Eight-legged freaks, yes. If we got an eight-legged freak sequel, I'm not going to be mad at that. Because, <laughs> again, the, y'all are seeing a trend with me. If it got giant monsters or giant bugs in it, they destroying yeah. things. I love to see it. But, yeah, I, I think I'm more excited because, like, as someone who's not familiar with the original, I... I'm more inclined to go watch the original and then watch this. Yeah. And yeah. And imagine how I, I'm going to be interested to see how they adapt it though. Cause like Kate, like you I said, the director. Think, oh, go ahead. I, I think it yeah. could be, I think it could be a fun trend. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know when um, the uh, invisible man came out um, and Kate who directed that one, Lee Winnell, like that was so good. And it was just such a, a great take and how he like used yeah. like the empty space on it. And, which I think is the important thing, and this can probably be a topic of discussion for another podcast, but I I am very staunchly against a lot of remakes, but the thing that I'm not against is go, reaching into the bag of universal monsters and concepts that have been done since they were literature and pulling them forward in time, because I think that they pre- like monsters themselves present a template to tell stories of, like, cultural situations that they either developed from but Mm. also that they're being read in 
like they're this really great mirror for us and this is something that Guillermo del Toro like really champions with all of his stuff obviously um it is no like the shape of water is a beautiful romantic monster movie that is just the creature from the black lagoon in like the best ways and so if this is the trend that we're on like keep doing that like i don't Mm -hmm. think universal was wrong for trying to start the dark universe i think they did it in a bad way a very bad way yes a very very bad way (laughs) because we all remember i frankenstein oh and then what was the one the mummy the mummy and all i could keep and i still said and me when me and kate first became friends i said this i'm like they just stood us they should have started with van helsing all you had to do was start with van helsing but never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, but I would actually love to see, I agree, Kate, like, I would like to see that trend continue. Like, we don't necessarily need it to be, like, the MCU or, or yeah. you know, DC Universe either. Like, it can honestly, these could just be stories that exist on their own, and they can just be retold or reimagined in a new way. Like, yeah, give me, Whoa. reach into the monster bag. Yeah. Well, it, well, and that's what Renfield is. Mm-hmm. Like, Dracula's been told however many times like over and over and everything and i think that it's easy to get burnt out on dracula stories but if you do it differently you can do some really cool stuff with it and i think like as there is an embrace of everything i just want to see more like give me weird like i want james wan to like get into his weird bag like he did with megan and malignant malignant and just like i don't know do a mummy movie or do a Frankenstein movie, but just absolutely just be chaotic gremlin with yes. it. We are overdue I, for another mummy movie and not like the mummy franchise. Just like, just do another mummy movie because yeah, like classic universal that monster would be interesting. mummy. Like just give yes. me that. Mm. God, that I want it now. <laughs> stay, stay tuned, dear listeners. Maybe that'll be another topic coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, now it's time to jump into our big podcast topic of the week. So all the way into last year, one week ago, creators of The Last of Us sat down with The New Yorker, breaking down their newest TV show uh, how it, and how it adapts, obviously, on the successful video game. Uh, but some of the comments given in the article read in a way that sets live action shows and films up uh, as the pinnacle of the medium. Uh, Craig Mazin said, uh, when you're playing a section, you're killing people, and when you die, you get sent back to the checkpoint. All those people are back moving around in the same way, and at a certain point, they read as obstacles, not as human beings. In the show, such encounters will carry much more weight watching a person die, I think, or to be more different than watching pixels die. Um... And they go on to make similar comments, how they're so excited and it's going to be better than the video game. And it, a, a lot of this this whole interview really got social media kind of buzzing. Uh, there was a lot of discussion online. So one of the things that kind of really upset me about this whole thing is, and, you know, kind of where I want to start, it's kind of like comments like this they seem to really just devalue the work that everyone else is doing it any mm-hmm. other medium that isn't live action um and, it, and it's just really painful and i feel like we're going over it again and again and again and it, it, i feel like it's gonna this isn't like a last of us like dig even though it came from them because we're gonna hear this comment more and more as more more video game adaptations come out 
Um, so, like, Kate, how, how did you feel when you heard this stuff? Because it's got to be tiresome, right? It's frustrating. It's so frustrating. And I think uh, Samuel Dietz, uh, one of the co-directors on Castlevania, tweeted about how this is the type of stuff that him and his teams get, or animators get in general, when people push back on the depth that you can go to with animation. And as, like, it's award season, and I have been pissed off with all of the animation ballots that I've had to, that I have to vote in because none of those films aren't family friendly. None of those films aren't made by, you know, like established big American companies. And the reason I bring this up is because this line of thinking that live action is the only way to tell a deep and emotional story is what really maligns and pushes the idea of animation being a less than avenue for fruitful storytelling and it also is what continually devalues like video games themselves as something that is immersive and takes mm. a lot of time and effort to build um and i think it's actually really funny too because the game awards currently which i've already ranted about but they're trying very hard to become the become the oscars like there has been a giant push in gaming. Neil Druckmann, The Last of Us, uh, The Last of Us creator. Um, I don't think he respects video games personally because he's only hiring film and TV writers because he wants to make a game that is like a, a TV show. And I'm like, dude, these are different mediums. Like, what I'm trying to say is, like, when you have a comment like this and you devalue art that is not live action acting. Like, unless you put Pedro Pascal's actual life in danger, he's also just pixels on my screen. Like, it is the same thing. And I, it infuriates me because there are so many people telling unique, diverse, powerful stories in mediums that aren't live mm. action. And you're having this kind of attack from all sides from people who are on the critic side, people who are in development sides, just seeing things get gutted and devalued money-wise because they're not the live-action piece. And it just... I was angry. <laughs> TLDR, Kate was angry. <laughs> Nisha, how about you? Yeah, I I feel similar to Kate. I mean, people know us for talking about live-action like anime adaptations and... It's honestly, and people will crap on those, but then like we have said, there have been good ones, but like, I hate the idea that people seem to think that live action is the, it's the be all end all. That it's, every, it's like the ceiling to reach. Right. It's the holy grail yeah. of entertainment. And truly yeah. it's not anymore. It's like, I think just like, just because people see an actual world person instead of an animation or a still image, they just don't think it gives them the same value of entertainment back. But like. I can tell you personally, I have wet, I have read webtoons each week that have me hooked in as if I'm tuning in for a new episode every week. I have played video yeah. games that feel like an entire cinematic production, and I get I get so much value from very different things. Like it could be a webtoon comic, it could be a regular comic, it can be a book you're reading, it could be a fan fiction story. <laughs> I have yeah. gotten more value out yeah. of a fan fiction story than watching a two-hour romance drama. <laughs> it's just like the idea that live action is the only way 
we can get the best level of entertainment. It's just, it's wrong. And yeah, similarly, yeah, even if you put real people on the screen and you kill them, like you kill them in the game, I'm still not going to be that emotionally. I wouldn't, and it's weird because I'm like, in the game, they are obstacles because as the player, they're an obstacle to you. When you watch it as an yeah. audience member, you have more humanity for it. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if that's what's lacking also, like the perspective that the yeah. game is when you're a player and you're those characters versus you're watching yeah. a thing happen. I, I think a lot of, so my, one of my favorite games of all time narratively is Mass Effect. Mm. Uh, it's a trilogy, it's a choose your own adventure RPG essentially, the story's never the same twice if you don't make the same choices, and I have played it through many a times, um, but I played through one single story progression on Insanity, and Insanity was the hardest level, and I was dying consistently. All of the time. I think what the other thing that this shows, that this comment itself shows, is that the people who are adapting this don't actually understand the concept of video games themselves. Because I am not supposed to build a, a empathetic connection with the people that I am shooting to progress to my next point. What I am supposed to feel is deeply connected to the people in my party so that if I make a dumb decision and one of them dies on this mission that I am in, I feel instant regret and mm. pain. Like, I have never cried in a video game, and I would actually say, like, I have never cried in, like, a fictional, like, narrative story as hard as I did when Morden Solis, when my Morden Solis died in the last, the last Mass Effect game. And that was because, like, it wasn't just a three-hour movie where I got to know a character that I really liked. It was a multi-year journey <laughs> with this person that I recruited onto my team in the first game and got to watch evolve over time and make a relationship with. And then when he died, I felt that impact. And, like, to say that it's just pixels on a screen, like, we can just say, like, movies are just pixels as well. Mm -hmm. But the focus of that statement on, like, you just kill people and then you respawn and they're back, it's like, but that's not the point. Like, you are actually fundamentally not understanding video games as a storytelling narrative. Right. Like, combat which, is a piece of a video game. Yeah. It's not the story. Which, it, it's it's bonkers as well because like it just kneecaps their entire game because their entire game is built on that premise of connection between joel and ellie mm -hmm. like and that's what a lot of people were telling me like when i first started playing the last episode i struggled with the game itself just because i was like the mechanics yeah. are just like just a slow game like it's hard to get into but like oh it's not it's not that like you it's it's the experience and the 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 connection that you develop like as the pair as you go through the story mm. like oh I'll keep with it keep mm -hmm. with it and I, I i see what they mean like it, it's good it is it's as a video game it, it it lacks a little bit here and there as far as like you know what you're looking for um but then for the comments to come out from the creators of this just baffling like just very confused again like not really kind of understanding this so i guess I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate here and uh, switch this around and say, do we think that the comments were intended to 
suggest audience size instead, audience engagement. As far as kind of like, okay, well, we know video game people, you know, like, Mm. you know, this show, but like, this is going to be a bigger audience now on an HBO Max. This is going to be, you know, a wider audience than we we have may have had before or a more Mm. diverse audience than we've had before, especially because it's an exclusive to Sony PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Nisha, what do you, I mean, I'd be really interested because you play a lot of like the solo player, like more cinematic experience. And so you're a part of that target audience. I, I don't play a lot of them. I think the last one I really played was Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, talk about making you cry Jesus. constantly. Literally. That Jesus. game ripped my heart out. Like, Christ. who the hell puts a level of a game better, where you have to kill your mother better like, than the actual movies? Yeah. Hands yeah. down. Better than the actual really? Marvel really? movies. Um, not, not to, like, jump out, but, like, <laughs> I'm usually not Side that <laughs> I'm usually not the target audience for that. So like from your perspective, mm-hmm. like how does it feel like do you feel that like when they're making these comments or they're talking to like what Aaron said, like do you feel like they're you're the audience they're talking to or or, or they've just kind of expected you to be there so they don't care about you? It it feels more like the latter. It feels like they expect the like reading those comments, it definitely feels like they expect for the video game players who are like who have been in this franchise or even who like have vaguely some understanding of it to just be there. Kind of like they're like, oh, we're making an adaptation of it, but we're gonna make it better than the game that you love so much. You're just like, so on one hand, depending on how you say it with tone, it can sound like it's gonna be even better than the game that you love. And then on the other hand, that tone can also sound like it's gonna be better than that game that you love. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, like hold yeah. on. It, it's, yeah. it ha- so, depending on the, the inflection and the voice, it can be, you live like this. Right. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> you live like this. Like, this is nice. This is nice. <laughs> but it's, no, it, it does feel like that. It definitely, it feels kind of like a jab at it, too. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. I hate the assumption that people think that gamers will just tune into something because it's attached to the franchise that they partake in. And then, like, y'all really, they really don't seem to have a grasp on the game community or the, their fans because I'm like, I hate, we've all seen it happen. They feel like they have to make it more accessible to everyone where it's just like, it is accessible on its own because you're telling the yeah. story. You're not, it's telling the story from the game is very different from having to play the game. Like, look yeah. at Halo. Uh, like that's I've never played Halo, but I watched the I watched that show, and I'm like, okay, I can get into this. Yeah, which like the it was very interesting because like my my husband he's on Matt I don't know this he will listen to this podcast <laughs> by now no you know the guy no that trivia. was on the last episode but why no trivia what is uh, Kate's husband's name. <laughs> he um he's a, a gigantic Halo fan. Like I and I love Halo but not in the same way. And so like he had some gripes with it because like the things not being like consistent with the lore mm. and blah blah blah. But what it gave me was my mom has the biggest crush on Pablo Schreiber. And so she tuned in to Halo and she was like, Oh, this is the master chief that you <laughs> and your brother played Ooh. as. And like I think that like there is an inroad kind of like like what you said Nisha they're not trusting people to just watch it and absorb it and become a part of the world yeah. 
And I think it's really interesting because The Last of Us is, like, currently priding itself on being, like, a shot-for-shot remake of the show, which is also, like, ah, do it, do it, yeah. Right. Um, but, like, they're not trusting anybody. And I, I actually think one of the things that Disney has done well, um, when it does it well, is that it trusts people to just come into these stories um, in some points, I think their biggest example of this was with Infinity War and Endgame. They're like, this is a cornerstone of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and there are a bunch of movies before, mm-hmm. but like, this is an event. And that was the marketing. Yeah. The marketing behind it was that this was an event, and you're going to show up to the event or you're not going to show up to the event, but this is the event. And like, my mom drove up to Austin to watch that with me because like to watch Endgame with me because she was so in love with Infinity War and those those are her first movies under the MCU mm-hmm. and I think now that like comics book comic books have become more commonplace as adaptation material they're in this space where you can just accept oh yeah this is based on a comic this is going to be fine right right and I think games are still really maligned by um honestly how loud and angry the gamer community is consistently at 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 live action adaptations that there's kind of like this oh no but this is going to be a good one um and then you also have the side where you have people like Druckmann talk and they are putting down games while also making games trying to cater to hollywood and so Mm. when hollywood comes out and is like okay well we need to get general audiences instead of saying here's hunky pedro pascal and you remember that little girl who like took on a whole bunch of guy uh, like grown kings and shit in game of thrones instead of just leading with that like they were like oh this is gonna be better than the video game and you all have you know you know of the video game but this is gonna be better than it it's like that's not your marketing strategy your marketing strategy should be we have stacked this cast Mm mm-hmm this story has already proven to win people over and to win awards. It's an award-winning story at the end of the day that they are adapting. They have to go down and say, well, no, it's going to be different. It's going to be live action, so you're going to feel more. And it it's almost patronizing to your... It, it's patronizing to the audience that you're trying to reach mm-hmm. that hasn't played games, and it's disrespectful to gamers in general and gamers deserve a lot of disrespect at times, but like <laughs> <Right>. this one, <laughs> this it is disrespectful. It's like what we think is good and how we see storytelling, mm. and ultimately, as to surf in the circle, just the medium of what you think games can do and the stories they can tell. At the end of the day, yeah. um, I, I think for me, it just a lot of this just feels very tired. Like it, it's that constant, mm. like this versus that, like you're yeah. one or the other, and it's kind of like aren't we done with this whole competition, this like pissing contest constantly, as opposed to just saying like, Hey, this is just going to be something different. Like the video game was awesome. Like if you like the show, maybe you want to go back and play it. And just like having both being able to exist in the same space. And, you know, again, we're going to be having a lot more of these video game adaptations coming Mm -hmm. down the way as well. So like, It's also interesting, too, is, like, when we kind of think about this, is, like, what medium is... I, I think mm. in here, for Western media, it's, like, what medium has more pool, what we me- medium is real art. And I think it may, it's making me think a lot about the manga to anime pipeline, because the majority of anime are all stories that have already been told. They're adaptations of existing manga. And 
there is sometimes that same apprehension like you will get asshats who are like read the manga and then the other way you'll be like no anime is like the, the pinnacle but what the industry as a whole does is there is a, a respect that goes towards both arms mm-hmm. in what's being done and I reason I bring that up is I just reviewed Chainsaw Man and Chainsaw Man is a phenomenal adaptation one because it is there are a lot of things that are shot for shot that are perfect mm-hmm. But then there's things that were not included in in the manga or things that have been changed that actually work to tell a better story in a visual medium. And I think when you look at adapting, there has to be understanding that certain mediums are good to tell certain types of stories. And you can adapt something while keeping the core of what made the first thing special but making it fit what you're moving it to. Yes. And I think that that is something that is still lacking in in Western media and Hollywood very specifically because I think everybody, like you said, it is that tired competition. Like people want to be better than the other one. Whereas like, no, we can just have an ecosystem where these are really good products and really good stories and people can walk into them and appreciate them. Yeah. In their different mediums, and we can let them uplift each other in different ways. Understanding that each medium has its own power in a mm-hmm. specific space. Like, because a video game or animation, like, there's stuff you can do there that is very difficult to do in live action, which is why, I, like, I constantly get very confused why live action is like, oh, we're going to make an invincible live action, like, movie. Like, why? Why? It's like, not, it doesn't feel necessary. <laughs> Yeah, the comic yeah. was fantastic. Like, th- why do you need something else? Like, you're l- very limited in what you're going to be able to do live action wise invinci- for Invincible versus what you did so well with the animated show. Right. And it just seems like some- at some point it does really just feel like a cash grab when they just want to go to that next level of live action. Like, okay, great. Comic was great. Made a game. Made an uh, animated series off of what's next. I, get, I, I feel like everybody thinks the yeah. finish line is live action. When honestly, if we stop looking at it as a competition or a race to the end, it's really about like, where do you get your value from out of it? Like, yeah. like we already yeah. mentioned, like if we just looked at the mediums that things are made in, if you, maybe you get more, because there are people who don't even care about watching things in live action or like watching things, period. They rather take it in reading or they prefer yeah. to admire um the animation's not like there's like there's so many different ways to enjoy something so instead of it being like well i don't understand why people love playing those games but we're going to make it more impactful and connect to the human heart and just like because you you said it perfectly Aaron. i think people just are not understand okay you both have said it it's just like when you play the game you're getting a different kind of entertainment value from it then when you watch something you're getting a different kind of entertainment value like for example if they made knives out a video game (laughs) (laughs) i would have i would get more i would get a different kind of value from it i wouldn't say it's better than the film i'm just going to get a different value from it because i'm now solving the case with the detective or (laughs) as the detective versus watching him do it I want to take a second here to plug Hitman, uh, the most recent yes, version of Hitman, because you get to play Agent 47 as essentially Benoit Blanc, like <laughs> researching a crime oh, as, and, and it's just, it's, and it's a mini game. Like it's a mini, it's a game within a game. It's the, it's the donut hole within the donut, <laughs> um, where you just play as the Hitman investigating this like murder 
potential murder that happened on this rich estate and you have to like question people and figure it's very good i did want to say that it is not knives out but you should close play enough. Close it. enough. Yeah. I'll play it. Look, if we want to make a knives out board game, knives out escape room theme, knives. I like, as y'all can see, I like knives out. I'm just saying, there's a different level of value yes. that we can get from exactly. it, but it depends on when you change it from. And I just feel like the directors are missing that point when it comes to video games, and not just these directors, but just other people in general too, because yeah. you're just getting a different value. It's like. Did you really have fun watching your brother play the game that you wanted to play? Yeah. <laughs> Sitting next <laughs> and pre- pretending to play on a remote control and you're not doing anything? Or do you want to actually do it? <laughs> yeah. So No, that's a real it's a really yeah. good example. I think it also goes into too and it's crazy because like we're having this conversation and like I sound like I'm saying, yeah, burn live action. Just, like, I've actually been a huge live action defender. Because, like, Japan, so, like, the same, same way the U.S. has live-action adaptations of comic books, Japan and Korea have live-actions of of manga and webtoons constantly. Like, all of the hit, well, the majority of the hit K-dramas that have, like, made it over in the U.S., specifically on Netflix, they were based on webtoons first. Attorney Wu, uh, Attorney Wu, Sweet Home, Alice like, and just, un- everything uh, yeah. on Netflix. Uh, Alice in Borderland yep. was a manga like they're like so like the process of adaptation like it doesn't always mean that it's gonna be bad which is weird right because then we have these two dueling things you have the people from the last of us saying this is gonna be the pinnacle of arts and this is gonna be the way the story should have been told right um and then you have other sides where like anytime an anime live action gets or an anime or manga live action gets announced people are like burn it to the ground why would you do this like well actually like japan has been doing this forever and it, like and i always end up defending but like there are two like both of these things like fundamentally misunderstand what makes something yes. a good piece of art or a good piece of entertainment and what makes something a bad piece of entertainment yeah no and just to add on that because like me and K- as we have said we have tried our best to defend and let people know like there are good live actions of anime out there in manga but the point is I, alice in borderland two seasons of a phenomenal adaptation seasons. that was a that was a sweet manga home, and anime first sweet home's another webtoon one. it's just there's yeah. a lot of great well, ones i was gonna there. i was gonna say nisha i'm i'm gonna be really um interested to see your opinion when we finally get one piece as well yes okay so yeah we're gonna have to do that another episode i will just say for right now because Oda is involved. I feel very confident in it, and I am exci- I'm excited about it. Like, and because I have seen good adaptations be done, and I'm not expecting it to be perfect. I'm not expecting it to be page per page the same thing. But it's just like the casting is awesome. The work has been put in. The right people are involved, and I'm excited. But when you look at something like you know the Avatar. Last Airbender series. Uh, I was going to say, uh, Kate, what, what about like a uh, Cowboy Bebop? Oh yeah, there's that one too. Because uh, I know that yeah. came out with like that was there. It's like aesthetically work. pleasing in it's some hard. parts. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. So like, well, no. Okay. So this is the difference. So The Last of Us is trying to do shot for shot remake, right? And it that's what it's doing. Cowboy Bebop took aesthetics from everything. Yes. 
and like mapped certain parts of it perfect while entirely missing what made Cowboy Bebop Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. And I think that's what it all comes back to. Like you can have really crappy live action and you can have really crappy animated or video games. But if you understand how to tell a story, what you make will be good. And it does not matter what the medium delivering it is. Agreed. That's what it has to be. And I think that's what end up ends up missing the mark. And that's why, like, mm-hmm. it's work. And this is a whole nother topic, but this constant, like, oh, well, video game adaptations, like, prior movies and shows, they just don't work. And it's kind of like, no, they just most often miss the mark because you yeah. miss the story at the heart of it, which people love. You completely lost that. Yeah. And I. The way. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest part about it. Like, when you have people who aren't involved putting in that amount of effort and, like, yeah. really capturing that, yeah. that's when they turn bad and no it's shade. It's almost like put movie people and say, hey, make this game now a movie right. or like, a show. And you're like, they have to understand what it is they're adapting. You can't right. just, like, yeah. one for one. Well, exactly. Well, and then, like, when you look at, like, Chainsaw Man's really good at, like, the, the CEO of MAPPA and a lot of the animators in MAPPA that worked on Chainsaw Man, like, they sought out getting the rights to a, to make it an anime because they are such huge fans yes. of the work. And, like, yeah. at, at CRX, like, they explicitly said, somebody else would not have done it right. Like, I, I, w- I wanted to do this right because yeah. this is something that I love. Right. And I think that there are times where that can blind you and there are times where you can make sure that you're giving the love and attention to something that that it deserves absolutely agree because i can honestly say i just saw black adam last week and i'm just like (laughs) what did i watch for two hours and i felt nothing and i should (laughs) have but i didn't but like for every for just like closing up on that for me i just felt like for all the things we just said an example like that with black adam it lacked all of that like it lacked establishing the lore about you know shazam and going in further and like actually telling who black adam is instead they decided let's try so much to make him an anti-hero but like you failed to make him an actual anti-hero still because you didn't really do that but okay this is not a black adam review (laughs) (laughs) no i mean i think I do want to ask, like, what are some emotional moments y'all have had playing video games or, like, watching an animated anything? Because I think that, like, that's really, like, what one of these contentious, like, moments are, right? Like, there's the assumption that you can't, like, live action is seen as the only way to tell emotional storytelling because of, like, a human to human. But, like, and obviously spoilers for, I probably already spoiled you for Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's been out for a while, so it's fine. Um... Like, I remember, like, playing the part in Guardians of the Galaxy where you go into your memory and you see your, into your mind and you see your mom and you have to hug her and you can keep hugging her until you die. Oh, and it's just a cycle. And then you have to realize, like, the narrative design of that game was that you had to take a player who is playing the story of somebody who lost their mother, is grieving very painfully with it and having to like go through it and the way out of the death loop the only way you can progress is to handle your grief by accepting that she is gone and killing her and moving on that, like that, that... Was massive because i remember being stuck at that part and like i don't know how to get out of this i was trying to run away i thought you mm-hmm. had to give in to the hug 
I was like, what is going on? And it, I, it never even crossed my mind that the trigger button was active. It just yeah. didn't, tr- for lack of a better word, trigger until I was, and then yeah. when I over it, I was like, oh, just ho- like wipe horror, like Jesus. Yeah, and that and that's that that and that's emotional storytelling through games. Mm-hmm. You're making your player live out progressing past grief by accepting it, like, and that is something you can't do in a movie. No. Like that that's that tactile that like the player is making the choice to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Like that is something. Well, that, that, that game can only do in games. Well, that game's clever as well because it, it's built upon as you progress through and you have these conversations, you choose the conversation you're having with the team members mm-hmm. around you. Yeah. And sometimes those conversations end up paying off right. in yep. like later fights. So it's all predicated on like if you're nicer and like you're, you know, for your team, like you you're saying these things along the way so you're engaged and you're like it's more compelling right. of a story live action isn't the be all, be all and end all mm-hmm. and it's good and it can do great things but it doesn't have to be the only medium mm-hmm. where successful storytelling uh, happens and we encourage you to go out and check them all enjoy them all whatever takes your fancy you go down that avenue mm-hmm. um Go play Guardians of the Galaxy. That was a really good game. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. This is now a Guardians of the Galaxy podcast. <laughs> Very good. All right, moving on to our third topic of the week. What have we been watching that we think are awesome? People listening should go watch. Hey. Ah, uh, I okay. Oh, actually, I watched Megan. Oh. That little creepy girl doll's amazing. Okay. Um, I. Like, I, th- look, whatever the hell James Wan is on, and if that is just freedom of creative expression because he had made, he has made so much bank, that's fine. But hit the, un like, you take the unhinged third act of Malignant, and then you put that into a movie, but there is, it is that chaotic in each of those pieces. And it's really funny. And it, like, understands mm. what makes killer toys, like, iconic in the horror genre. Oh. Boom, that's Megan. It is... Interesting. I'm down. So I want to go see it now. So good. I was intrigued by it. But, like, if you have, like, a really good marketing campaign, I'm convinced your movie isn't going to be great. Like, Smile and stuff like that. But this one amazing peak pg-13 horror like it is it's so good and so creepy like i loved it so yeah uh my review is up on the site the title is megan is iconic because she is (laughs) she is she is a legend in the moment and i am here to to support her (laughs) nice nisha what about you uh, for me, so Tomo Chan is a girl just premiered on Crunchyroll this week and I wrote a review about it. But I have been in love with this series since it was like, it started off as a four panel m- web manga on Twitter. And that is when I discovered it. And I love that it went from there to this. And it is just so good. If for anyone who has ever, who was a tomboy, is a tomboy, they can relate to her. Because like in most romantic anime um there's always like the main girl has usually a girl like a a best friend who is the tomboy or the sporty girl 
but the, I, I, you rarely see that kind of character be the main character and have the story. It's like she's this, she is the center of desire, like, and this is her story, and this is her love story, and it's not so much about her changing herself and becoming more girly so that her childhood friend will notice her. It is really about her knowing that she can be accepted the way she is and be loved the way she is. But it's also about her learning more about girl like relationships with girlfriends and having re- and how boys and girls can interact because she was raised in a dojo like you do. <laughs> so she's just always been very tough and she's never really been able to lean into the soft girly side that she that she truly has. And it's really about her finding that and like I know people on Twitter and online always talk about being able to tap into your feminine energy. I feel like this kind of aligns with this where it's like, I'm strong and I'm tough, but I have a soft side too. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I could talk about that all night, but uh, go watch that. And then I'm really excited because season two of Vinland Saga is coming out this month and I cannot wait for that for more violence, but also trauma. <laughs> Lots of trauma. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. I, I haven't really been watching an awful lot lately. I, I think the, I've been trying to catch up on a couple of 2022 films that have passed me by that I needed to go back and watch. I, I finally caught RRR, which is just superb. Just I, you, Once you watch it, like, oh, I get it. I absolutely understand why the love for this film and why it's three hours. It's just epic. It's, it's not what I expected at all. Just love it. I, I love. I needed to sweep the Oscars, man. I needed to just take everything. It has everything. It really, genuinely. Has Natsu Natsu supremacy. Oh. That dance sequence. Phenomenal. Just I still so have not good. seen this the movie, but I'm gonna watch it now. <laughs> it's you have love to. It. I've seen the clips, and I'm just like, what is this movie? I think I actually think RRR is the perfect movie for Shonen anime fans. If I'm honest, okay. I'm here for it. It, it's just it's it, it really does have everything and even the way it starts out with the big fight scene and everything like that it's damn good and the visual effects are, are just absolutely spot on um the cast is fantastic the romance that, that happens i just love it i i want a best friend just like that like fire and water like oh it's so good but the the dance numbers and the choreography just just superb, uh, and the big climactic fight scene, um, and some really emotional like you know sequences in that. Like I just I just loved it. It was just so much fun. Um, and then I also watched talking about emotional damage. <laughs> I watched uh, Banshees of uh, Inner Sharon. Oh my god! Um, and I I fully understand. So there was a conversation going around in our Discord about whether to include this movie as a comedy. And like struggling to accept that it is a comedy, and it is, but my God, it's just—it's it, not, and it's so much more. <laughs> it's just dark. It, it <laughs> but it's so—it is funny. It, it, I, I, Nisha, if you've I ever you... wanted to see, if you've ever wanted to see the light drain from somebody's eyes, you—it is—it is Colin Farrell's character. Well, in, oh in my God! Jesus. Christ. It's just this it, it's it's a bonkers film, Nisha. You've got to watch it. It's just this little island off of the coast of Ireland and the daily ongoings and it's the falling out between these these two old friends and they just one decides he's had enough and he just doesn't want to be his friend anymore. Oh. And chaos ensues. 
Colin Farrell's I, in it, so I will watch. See, I, I, Colin Farrell had a great year. He had a great year. It's weird because I've I've been on a, a bandwagon where I've not been a fan of his. My God, I really enjoyed some of the stuff he's done lately. I, I cannot. You, you should watch. It. You should watch after Yang next. After Yang, okay. So, yeah, it's a sci-fi movie with Colin Farrell. Very good. Very emotional. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I watched, because um, I had to, because I know if I didn't, Kate would find me and just take me out, uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, Pinocchio, which yes. after seeing that, it's the Pinocchio and nothing else should be compared to it at all. Like, it, it nothing comes close. It replaces the Disney Pinocchio. That's how much oh, I... Oh, it destroys it. Just destroys it. I'm like, it. not me having an existential crisis about death. Because of Pinocchio. Mortality and just... Oh my god. It, time passing. Also, Uwe McGregor, like, give me Uwe McGregor voicing more things again, please. However, I the beginning did McGregor. make me think of Moulin Rouge. Because <laughs> he sings in Moulin Rouge and he's a, he's a penniless writer in Moulin Rouge. <laughs> I, do you know what I really appreciated, which Guillermo del Toro did in that, is like the beginning when Pinocchio first comes alive. It's capturing the creepiness of the friendliness yeah. with the puppet mm-hmm. and how he comes alive and he's just destroying everything. And he, just like he doesn't understand about being sentient and just like the. Oh, it's just so good. It's so it's good. amazing. I really, really, really yeah. enjoyed it. So It's perfection. Yes. All right. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what we're doing, please don't forget to drop us a like, subscribe, retweet, or review. Whatever we can get, it will take. Uh, make sure to check out the site, our YouTube channel, um, Twitch. And we're also on Rotten Tomatoes now, so definitely look for us there. Uh, oh, yeah. That's the big thing. We're woo! we're a rotten, we're not just on Rotten Tomatoes. We are a Rotten Tomatoes approved publication, woo-hoo, y'all. Baby. You can see... All of our spicy movie takes now impacting your favorite film. 2023 coming in hot. Yeah. What hot takes and thirst takes can I make? Any of these? Oh, what have we unleashed? What have we unleashed? This is how we get Nisha reviewing more yes. things. She has power now. <laughs> I has the power. More um, things besides I... anime. <laughs> And of course, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can always find us in the But Why Though Discord chatting about the latest in pop culture news. That link is discord.gg slash But Why Though. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at But Why Though PC. And we are also on Facebook uh, if that's the way you like to use your social media. Uh, Kate, where can the people find you if they want to check out more of your stuff? You can find me on Twitter at OhMyMythRandier. Um, that is where I am. It's a little it's a little boring right now. I'm not doing too much, but uh, I don't I don't know what I've been screaming about. That's where you can find my stuff, but if you want my like anime and manga stuff, you can find me at OhMyMythRandier on Instagram. And Nisha, how about you? Yeah, for me, you guys can find me TikTok, Instagram, Twitter on um, at NishaPlays where I'm you getting I'm I am building up the energy to be ready for 28 days of black cosplay next month. Because I'm going to oh, try wow. and do 10. I believe in Thank you. you. I believe you in can you. Do it. I'm glad y'all believe in me. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I'm, gen- I'm really excited. I mean, it's a great time of the year for a lot of black cosplayers, for people to be highlighted. But I, I have a lot of different cosplays I'm really excited for this year. And I'm ready to kick them off next month. 
Nice, nice. So make sure to check out Misha and her cosplay. All right, and I've been your host, Aaron. You can find me at PrettyCPA on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find all my writing on the site, and you can find me featured on some of the Twitch and YouTube reviews. And if that's not enough, I'm always lurking about in the Bowido Discord, uh, just like Dracula. Uh, but that's it for this week. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.